0: Welcome to KAKU 88.5 FM, a Voice of Maui. Today, we're listening to the Nurse Practitioner Show on KAKU 88.5 FM that covers health, wellness, and managing your dis-ease. With me today, I have Michelle Vellante. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? Yes. Who is the clinical director for NOVA, Luna. Oh, Luna. Nova no, Luna Center. Nova Luna. Okay, I keep thinking Nova, and I always cut off the Luna. Nova Luna, what an interesting name. We'll talk about that in a minute. Okay. But uh, Michelle has been in business since 1998. Eight. Eight. Wow. This is a... a
1: No, actually, 1985, specializing in eating disorders.
0: 1985, specializing in eating disorders. And there's various, this is like a, a major, I would say a major health issue for young women, is that correct? Uh, I would say it's a major health issue in general
1: for um, a lot of people. It crosses all ages and all, all spectrums, ages and yeah. Both yeah. men
0: and women, yes, girls and boys. Both men and
1: women, absolutely.
0: Yes. Oh, interesting. I always thought of it as being mostly girls.
1: I think that's uh, that is the uh, the. Belief by the public is that it's mostly girls, but um, the rate of eating disorders among men and boys has really, really grown over the years. Given that we've we live in a culture that's very obsessed with looks, the diet mentality that's been normalized, so it's we're we're just seeing it cut across wow. all genders
0: and um, and all ages. So. Oh my gosh! Well, there I'm. You know, I can. One thing I always look forward to it's learning something new and over the years i've known people that have worked with you as employees mm-hmm. um and therapists but i've never totally known exactly everything that you do because i know it's pretty large i mean it it, caught, it has a very large spectrum of services
1: yes yes
0: and uh dealing with people i know the only the actually only person i've known with an eating disorder was mm-hmm a friend, a man friend of mine who had, who was married and his first, he had three children the first time and one of the daughters had an eating disorder and she still runs like crazy. She's probably in her fifties and is skinny, 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 skinny. And then when he remarried, had a second marriage, the only child was a girl and also had an eating disorder. And so, um, I don't know if there's any, I'm I'm interested in why.
1: Well, I am, eating disorders are, you know, multifactorial in in terms of why does somebody develop an eating disorder? When I'm actually educating people, I try to get the whole family to come in and I basically uh, talk to the family and say, why, you know, how did this person, how did the family end up with an eating disorder? Because it's, um, an eating disorder is considered an addiction, but it's considered a process addiction, meaning that people are not addicted to the food per se, but the behaviors that they practice around food and some of the obsessional thinking and some of the, um, what we would call the eating disorder parts um, are, you know, there's, there's many, many things that set up a person to have an eating disorder. In fact, I call them markers. And all these different markers can be in place, and generally, what um, that that kind of loads the gun, and then if a person goes on a diet, the diet fires the gun. And most people in our culture have been on a diet at one time or another. But there's certain things that would, you know, lots of people go on diets. Not everyone develops an eating disorder. So in in looking at each individual, generally, if we go back, 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 we see that there's some level of trauma that generally trips the switch or a series of, of what, what I would call small traumas versus large traumas. In a family? In a family or in an individual within a family. So if, we're, if I'm dealing with an adolescent, then I've got to really work with the whole family. If I'm dealing with an adult, I'm still going to look back at their family of origin. I'm still going to look at, so what were, the, what were the triggers, what were the precipitating experiences that called in the use of this particular coping mechanism versus something else? You know, somebody else might be using drugs or alcohol, but somebody else has decided that they're going to use food or exercise or, or they're going to compulsively binge and purge or they're just going to, you know, binge or they're going to yo-yo diet their whole lives. So there's, I would say, varying degrees in terms of severity of eating disorders, but we live in a culture that has normalized disordered eating. So that would be...
0: Yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, in my not knowing a lot about it, and uh, I heard it was a lot with, with the father. And in this particular situation, you know, two different mothers, same father, two daughters, Eating disorder, so I'm probably way out in left field somewhere, but that was what I was thinking.
1: Um, well, again, you know, the the family has a lot to do with, I, I think, with with anything that happens to a child, right? So, in terms of the father, I mean, there's, you know, there's there's what might be called stereotypical, uh, like the absent father and the enmeshed mother. We sometimes see that in the development of anorexia in young girls. But um, any time a child is basically, there's not there's a lack of attunement um, with the child to the parents, depending on that particular child, um, they're going to, some children are just more sensitive, and we basically um, call it, I call it the sensitive child, but it used to be called the vulnerable personality, and um, generally there were a set of characteristics that we would see with young people with eating disorders. They were very intuitive, they were very sensitive. Um, I used to say they were the cream of the crop, very bright, and um, based on their sensitivity, you know, their, their felt experience of what was going on maybe in the families or maybe they gotten teased affected how they saw themselves and how they decided to cope with what they Self-image. experienced right right so everything's perception right right so one thing you know a child can experience one thing and another child can experience the same thing but how they decide they're going to square with it and how they end up dealing with it are are two entirely different animals
0: right no I'm going to go back to your name, Nova Luna. What does that mean? How did you derive that name? Nova
1: Luna means new moon. So the, the metaphor is that when someone first comes in for help, uh, the new moon is in darkness except maybe a sliver of light. And so generally when someone comes in first for treatment, they're in a lot of darkness, and then the process of recovery and transformation is that over time, there's, they're bringing in more and more light until they're, you know, we literally our program goes through the phases of the moon. And when they're graduating, they're in the full moon. They, they've gotten to the full moon phase. And
0: how long does it take? To, to Varying, probably.
1: It is varying. And statistically, they say that recovery from an eating disorder is two to eight years. Now, for some people that could be a lot longer and depending on how long the person has had the eating disorder is gonna also affect how long it takes to um, recover from it so it's like the more experiences the more the behavior has been set in then of course it's gonna you have to unlearn it and then learn other
0: coping other yes. behaviors yes so and do you have a, a what, what do you call it a uh- a retreat center or someplace where people come and stay for a period of time? Ours is not <laughs> residential. So the people that
1: we take, we it's a called day treatment, which is sometimes interchangeably called partial hospitalization. So a person may be in our program, it would be inten- relatively intensive, three minimum to start um, days and, and they're not all day long days to Five to seven days a week, depending on the severity, and um, we try to set it up so that the person gets, you know, the most intensive therapy, and yet, as much as possible, is able to still be in their own, you know, like have their lives.
0: So they go to school. They and, go to
1: school. Yeah. <laughs> they go to work. Um, some people, when they're coming in, if they're if the if the eating disorder is really severe, they might be on disability. Um, or they might just not be able to work because the eating disorder has just really taken over their life. Sounds like a very sad situation. Um, yeah, I mean it's mm-hmm. it is it actually um, of all the mental disorders, eating disorders
0: has the highest death rate of any mental disorder. Because people can use that as a way of committing suicide.
1: Yes, and um, because some of the some of the and symptoms like with anorexia and bulimia really severe. But the other thing that people don't think about is that when somebody's had an eating disorder over time and they've tried to recover, it can be disheartening, especially if they haven't really done the right treatment or haven't done any treatment and they've tried to do it on their own. And I think that that's dispiriting and disheartening. They feel
0: very hopeless. And
1: so then, you know, and again, it's not just an eating disorder. A lot of times there's major depressive disorder. There could be bipolar disorder, um, anxiety disorders, post-traumatic stress disorder, and all the above, depending on the person. So we're dealing not just... multi Yes, yeah. I'd like yeah.
0: To see this. Yeah. So in the spectrum, I guess we could call it a spectrum of disease... Would you call it that?
1: Um, well, I would say that there is a continuum. A continuum. Uh, you know, it's okay. on a continuum of, like, severity. Um, you know, you can have somebody who their whole life, it's like they're, they're functioning and they've yo-yo dieted their whole life. But if you actually look at the diagnostic um, and statistical manual and you start asking them questions, they actually do meet the criteria for for an eating disorder. But again, they're still able to function. They're not, you know, binging and purging all day long or, you know, they're, now, they're describe by Describe what way.
0: binging and purging. So people S- may, you know, because I think I see one of the purposes of our show, which will be repeated on Saturday from 11 to 12 for everybody out there, um, is to try to identify people or self-identification or parent or someone who knows them to identify someone, and by knowing what each disorder is like, mm-hmm. they may be able to be tuned in and help reach out and help somebody, right. send them to you kind right. of deal. So
1: binging is obviously eating more than what, you, you know, binging can be somebody who overeats to the point of feeling overfull, all the way to Thanksgiving full, where they're feeling stuffed. And in pain. So that would be considered a binge, eating large, you know, like uh, large amounts of food in a short period of time. Do they usually eat fast? Usually they eat, not only they eat fast, but they're like in a trance. It's like when people are binging, it's like they're eating and almost, I mean, it serves a purpose. They may be pushing down emotions when they're eating, um, self soothing um, through binging. Some people actually punish themselves by binging. And then in the cases where there's purging, purging actually can mean vomiting. It could mean using diuretics or laxatives, or a person can purge through exercise. So meaning, oh, just
0: work, exercise till they're,
1: exercise, they can barely walk. Well, even just exercising as a way to burn off the calories. So anytime that you're trying to get rid of the food, so some people get really extreme with their exercise. So they may, you know, it's like, okay, well, I ate however many calories um, the person ate in the course of the day, and it's like, so then I'm going to go exercise, I'm going to go run for a couple of hours, I'm going to work out at the gym, I'm going to go, or the next day, I'm going to restrict, and then I'm going to exercise more, that's considered a purge. Okay. So diet pills would be considered purging, because it's a way to address
0: the food intake by... Decreasing the food By intake. By decreasing, okay. Yeah. So, how does our culture support and perpetuate the development of the eating disorders? Well, our culture. I mean, uh, is it different in Hawaii than in another mm, state? Because of different cultures.
1: Well, I would say that we live in a culture that um, we're. I mean. You know how, like, when you look at fat magazines and you see all these recipes in a magazine, and it's like they're these amazing desserts, and then within the same magazine, it's like how to lose ten pounds in a month. So it's like we've we've got a, a culture that that um, that's kind of we've become a very food focused food focused culture, fast foods, and then we also have a culture that says that a particular body type is the ideal beauty so generally being thin or you know depending on the era because it's changed over time what women's what the ideal body type was in the 1950s was was a different from the 1960s there was Marilyn Monroe in the 50s and then there was Twiggy in the 60s so and that was a that was a big shift and uh, so I would say that our culture perpetuates it in that it focuses on what people look like rather than who they are. It's like, you know, sort of the idea of we're human doings rather than being human beings. So it's, you know, Mm -hmm. what do you look like? What do you have? How successful are you? I mean, our culture has become, I would say, a bit –
0: over the deep end is what I.
1: Call yeah, it. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way of putting it. It's a good way of putting it. And then people, you know, it's like it's not unusual for um, people. It's so normalized to talk about being on a diet. How you need to lose that that last five pounds or ten pounds. Or oh, I overate. Oh, I'm going to start. I'm going to start this diet. My New Year's resolution is that I'm going to go to the gym. And lasts uh, about a week. Right, right. <laughs> and it's like, but we're not actually dealing with the core dis ease that might be driving, you know, it's like, how do I really feel about myself? Do I? Do do I think I'm worthy? Or do I think my worth is predicated on how beautiful I look, how young I look, how thin I look, etc. And, you know, the the media and the advertising industry, uh, perpetuates that as well i mean it's kind of advertising is you know especially for women is you're fat you're ugly buy something you know or <laughs> make up or, or eat something or or don't eat anything or, or try this diet
0: yeah i mean it's so interesting because i remember jane fonda had an eating disorder as a young girl maybe as a as a model, woman as, as a woman in as her 20s woman. right
1: well, even when she was when she was doing all of her exercise videos, oh, I mean, was she was um, no one knew, no one knew that she was binging and purging all day. So, yeah, I mean, um, the I think when people are in the acting industry, when they're in, you know, in front of cameras, there's a lot of pressure to look good, and there's so much criticism you know it's like i mean think about oprah and how every time oprah lost weight or gained weight it was like you know in the in in the in newspapers the news. yeah in the news it's crazy
0: well the the, re- the reason i mentioned jane fonda because at the oscars last night i didn't watch it but i read an article this morning and it said that she has gone totally gray with her hair she's no longer dyeing it and she's been very very uh, active in the environmental movement Mm -hmm. and what she's doing as of now she she bought one new red coat to wear in washington for all the protesting i saw that and then she's now really encouraging people to use used clothes either their own used clothes or buying them in use maybe salvation army maybe who knows where you know where someone like jane fonda would go for her used clothes (laughs) I mean, I'm talking about where I would go is a totally different place, <laughs> right? Yes. And um, I just thought that was so interesting based on her history of eating disorder. I mean, it seems to be somehow connected to that. I don't know. Does it seem connected to you at all?
1: Well, I guess I don't know what she's, I mean, the, what, what's behind what she's promoting
0: getting well, Ecological. Used Oh, don't, ecolo- waste. She said, don't waste. don't um, waste. Don't buy new clothes. It's just a waste of money. You know, if you have some that will work, like gowns from 20 years ago, like she was wearing a gown she had worn, I don't know, in 2004. And this was 2020. And so she was just encouraging. That's what some people do when they buy wear vintage, mm-hmm. is they're buying used clothes, except high-end used clothes. And it may be they had it in their closet. Why not? You see what I'm saying?
1: Yeah, well, I think for us to, for for, you know, as a culture, to be less focused on the the newest, um, most beautiful, fashionable thing, and to reuse things, because really, I mean, actually, interestingly enough, I collect antique clothing. And I have since I was in my 20s. um, And it's like they the, some of the styles. Like I have stuff from the 1920s. I mean, beautiful, beautiful clothing. Why not? Um, you well know, made. Yeah, well made, beautiful, stylish. Um, but yeah, we're not just adding to the 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 throwaway industry because a lot of the clothes that you know that I've seen that people buy these days are just people wear them and then they throw them out or they they. I mean, not that it's it's a good thing that they end up in thrift stores, but clothes
0: are not made the way they used to be well i used i, I have a skirt i bought at uh not target but at Ra ross 249 mm-hmm. two dollars and 49 cents on sale and i thought two dollars and 49 cents for a, it was beautiful and i thought you know kind of had um that uh panels that go down which are very they just i love that elegant style and i thought two dollars and 49 cents I bought it maybe five or six years ago. I use it. It's just a great skirt. And I thought, well, for two dollars and forty nine cents, if I wear it and it falls apart, oh well, that's okay. You know, that was my. I remember thinking that at the time. And so I was like, hmm. I still have it. I still wear it. (laughs) So I mean, and I haven't bought really new. Occasionally, like my jacket. I have a jacket, and I hadn't bought a new winter jacket for. I'm going to say 10 years. And finally, it was looking a little ragged, and I needed to pass it on because with REI, they recycle those and make them into other products or Mm -hmm. something like that. So I bought a jacket that will last, I'm I'm sure, a good 10 years. But um, I haven't gotten into – I was never into the buying. I'm not a shopper, I guess is what I'd say. So I never – kind of took part of that frenzy of buying, buying, buying.
1: Well, I I think that if you think about it, eating disorders, there's all different kinds of addictions. Um, I don't know if you saw Rocket Man with Elton John. No, uh, you know, I didn't, but I want to see it. Well, Elton John had an eating disorder. Obviously, Elton John was an alcoholic, and he went into treatment. And he also was a shopaholic. You know, so I mean, it's like, you know and all of the you know and he was obviously a very talented gifted man and he had, had all those issues right and he had he had family of origin issues and he did address it so i mean that's what's what, so wonderful about that story and it actually showed him addressing it admitting that he was that he had an eating disorder and was bulimic Um, And that he um, abused drugs and alcohol and that he was a shopaholic and that he had an anger management problem. And, you know, and and then it shows him in group therapy, which is, you know, a modality that's a very helpful modality in recovery from whatever addiction you're dealing with. And so... um, I guess I don't know how we got off on the subject. Just this this idea of um, like, you know, things don't make the person, and a person can get caught up in things. In things. Because anything can be a thing, whether it's gambling, whether it's um, playing computer games, whether it's, you know, people on their social media. I mean, people have gotten so distracted and they're not actually connected with other
0: people they're connected with their thing their thing their thing well we're going to take a little break here and hear from our um, sponsors and I just wanted to mention that with me today I have Michelle Vellante who is the clinical director at Nova Luna and it's an eating disorder clinic
1: is and that, it also we also have a day treatment just for mental um, mental illness as well. So it's eating disorders and, and mental then other illness. other okay yeah, and mental. And illness.
0: how is that fairly new
1: part? Uh, well, we've always we've always worked with the uh, co-occurring issues. disorders, but now you do not have to have an eating disorder to get intensive
0: treatment. Okay, well that's just, great to yeah. know. So we'll be back in a couple minutes. I'm going to uh, highlight our. I see they're highlighted. Our our. Um, Our sponsors are sponsors for the the station, KAKU 88.5 FM, the voice of Maui. Pacific Medical Group at 95 Lono Avenue in Kahului is the proud sponsor of the Nurse Practitioner Show on KAKU 88.5 FM, The Voice of Maui, that can be heard on Mondays at 2 p.m. and again at 11 a.m. on Saturdays. Pacific Medical Group has chiropractors who specialize in the management and prevention of work-related injuries. For more information and list of potential services, please call 808-873-0733. Do you have a
1: non-profit event coming up that you would like the public to know about? Is there an important social issue for which you'd like to raise awareness? Akaku can help you get the word out. You can come in and record a one-minute public service announcement for the subject of your choice at no cost to you. Slots are available Mondays and Wednesdays between 1 and 3. Remember, it's free, so call 871-5554 and reserve your spot today.
0: Grateful Dead played a different set list at every show. Since no two concerts were ever the same on stage, the same goes with the Grateful Dead radio program on KAKU 88.5 FM. Saturday night at 8 and Sunday night at 9, it's dead air. It's an hour of killer recordings. Stories from the taper section, tall tales from the parking lot, and I'll throw in an interview from time to time. Hey, I'm Corey Daniels. Saturday night at 8 and Sunday night at 9, you'll get dead air on KAKU 88.5 FM, the voice of Maui. Sweet strawberry ice you're in goodwill and just past that vintage denim jacket you spot miniature donut earrings you lean in ah that's the scent of shopping success because at goodwill every item you buy funds local job training and more so bring home those donut earrings and bring home so much good to your community goodwill bring good home brought to you by goodwill and the ad council K-A-K-U 88.5M, The Voice FM, excuse me, I <coughs> seem to be a little hoarse, The Voice of Maui. We are located in downtown Kahului, and we're happy to be here. This is my fourth year. I'm Mary Margaret Baker, I'm the we're on the Nurse Practitioner Show on health, wellness, and managing your dis-ease, and with me today, I have Michelle Valante, who is and Eating Order dis- Specialist. Eating Disorder Specialist. Eating Disorder Specialist. And we were just talking. I had a question, and I thought this would be a good way to reopen the show. What is the difference between purging and bulimia? Well, are they different? Are they both expel the food, right?
1: Well, purging can be... Okay, so if somebody has bulimia, they are purging. Okay. So they might be purging... Um, By vomiting, they might be purging by vomiting, taking diet pills, taking diuretics. They might be purging by uh, cleansing or... um, I
0: mean, enemas or something like that? Yeah,
1: enemas, yep, yep. Anything that is getting rid of the food. Um, Even even exercise is considered purging if the purpose of the exercise is to burn off the food that they just took in.
0: Okay, and then eating and purging. Well, pe- bulimia is the same thing.
1: Well, eating,
0: you eat bulimia the food. is what?
1: Well, bulimia is when you consume food and then you get rid of the food. Okay, so purging and purging is getting rid of the food. Getting so rid of eating the food. the food, purging is getting rid of the food.
0: Yeah. So it's yeah. kind of the same thing.
1: Well, purging is purging and getting rid of the food is the same thing. Same thing. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Got it. That, that could be the definition. Definition. Yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah. So how are eating disorders protective to the person like they feel very vulnerable and they it's one way they take care of themselves?
1: Well, an eating disorder I I talk I basically when I'm meeting with clients any symptom has a purpose, right? So um, we could call them a, a protector. So if someone is using their eating as an eating disorder as a protector, it might be a way to be in control so it's protecting them from being out of control. It could be that it's a way to self-soothe. So there, it's protecting them from their anxiety and helping them to soothe themselves. It could be a way to push down really uncomfortable um, feelings. Or so, experiences. Or experiences. So it's a protector in that it's protecting the person from something. Um, and an eating disorder, Um, This would be getting into the one of the modalities that we use that's called internal family systems but um, an eating um, an eating disorder would be considered a firefighter part Meaning that it's um, a firefighter. You think of a firefighter. It's you're going to put the fire out with water in this in this terminology the person is putting the fire out with gasoline, meaning the behavior, a firefighter behavior, is something that generally has a negative outcome. So, if I am using my eating disorder and I'm binging and purging, that's that's a really extreme behavior to cope with some, you know, some uncomfortable um, anxiety or some part of me that just feels like I just can't deal with it whether it's um, some kind of stress I'm anxious I'm angry I mean people will will practice an eating disorder for to deal with all kinds of feelings it's not just one feeling that the person is is trying to to
0: manage now the feelings are there different feelings between men and women or is it basically the same cadre of feelings they're both dealing with
1: Yeah, I would say that, you know, men and women have the same feelings. I mean, I I think shame is a big feeling that that they share, that both men and women, that's kind of the crux of a lot of um, uh, protectors. You know, shame is not a, you know, shame is I am a mistake versus guilt that says um, I made a mistake. Shame is like there's something defective about me.
0: Okay, that makes sense. Men and women would have that. Right,
1: right. So, and men, men and women... Um, struggle with anger and depression. And, you know, a lot of the recovery process is really a grieving process. It's that there have been losses, there have been cutoffs, there have been traumas. And then the person has just not been able to or had the tools to process and uh, move through it. So really, when you think about recovery, it is a, a grieving process. And in the grieving process, there's depression, there's anger, there's bargaining, there's, um, you know, you're going to be crying. I, I always tell my clients, you know, if you're, if you're crying and it's messy, then you're doing your work. <laughs> so so you know, then because yeah, that grieving part, the grieving, it's really important to be able to grieve whatever it is that someone experienced that that. Um, that they're holding on to in some way, shape, or form, because whenever you see a symptom, that symptom is
0: serving a purpose. So, yes, I do, I do. I do believe that. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think that's a real important avenue to pursue with people, whether you're a clinician like a nurse practitioner, and you were saying it's one of the most un- underreported or under-treated
1: I would say disorders. under Under-diagnosed. under-diagnosed. I, I, don't, I just, uh, you know, a lot of times, um, even therapists who, uh, you know, psychotherapists don't ask the right questions. It's just like, no, we don't, you know, it's like unless the person brings it up, uh, you know, or comes in and says, this is my problem, I'm not gonna ask certain questions. And people with eating disorders, it's very secretive. They have a lot of shame around it. It's like, yeah, I'm gonna come in and, you know, unless it's really bad, um, or it's something that is obvious to the eye, like someone comes in and they're and 90, 90 pounds. And, you know, I mean, it could be for other reasons as well, but it's it's going to, you know, it's going to bear a question, right, or a few questions. So a lot of times the um, people don't automatically share. Sometimes um, people don't even realize that they have an eating disorder or disordered eating because it's been so normalized. So if you ask the right questions, you will find out whether somebody has uh, disordered eating or an unhealthy relationship with food, weight, um, or their you know their their body image.
0: Now, can do, how often is it that they have a parent? With an eating disorder,
1: pretty common. <laughs> pretty
0: common. <laughs> pretty okay. common. Okay. Yeah.
1: Or the or the parent. Um, I mean, may not have a full blown eating disorder per se, but they may have really distorted distorted views about um, health. Like I, I've seen a lot of parents come in who I would describe as orthorexic or sort of spiritual bypassing with. Um, oh, you know, we do yoga and we're vegan. And I'm not saying anything about being vegan or anything else. But it's like, it's the degree of control. And then the, you know, imposing that on the child and saying, well, this is what we do. And, you know, and making this is comments. our household, right, and this and making comments to the child also parents that are on diets don't realize or that make disparaging remarks about their own bodies it's like you See, know this is what i was yeah, thinking yeah yeah that that's going to affect the child and oftentimes i've had parents that are very slim making disparaging comments about their bodies when their child's body naturally is never going to look like their parents cuz maybe it looks like the dad's body that's that's a little that, more. that's a little bit more um, filled out Right, but they're not overweight, but they don't look like the mother, and the mother's looking in the mirror, going, "Oh my God, I'm so bad," and, "Oh, you know, this doesn't look good on me." And here's the kid going, oh, well, then, wh-
0: what must what you make like at me?" <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: I see what you're saying. Now, what is intuitive eating? I've heard that term. Intuitive eating is where
1: um, it's um, there's a whole um, there's there's a whole basic movement around it where it's where a person is learning to be able to trust their body signals. So proprioceptive awareness is a a term that's used where it's knowing about your hunger and fullness. You know, it's like knowing when you're hungry and stopping when you're full. And a lot of times when people have been dieting on and off their whole lives, their proprioceptive awareness is off. They don't trust their bodies to, you know, it's like Tell them the right information. To, yeah, to yeah. tell them that they're, that it, it's a, like, literally, there's so many diet thoughts in their heads, like carbs are bad, or I can't eat sugar, um, sugar's bad. Um, if I eat too much sugar, I'm going to get fat, or fat will make me fat, carbs will make me fat. And there's been so many diets over the years that, you know, it, it's like, I mean, I've obviously watched this, and I'm just like, whatever another diet where where some, somebody is making a lot of money off of, you know, having people believe that this is going to be the be-all and end-all, and then they're going to have the body that they've always wanted.
0: And it's just not, you know. The, Sometimes the, it's just plain old genetic. It, there's mean,
1: genetics, know. and yeah, and we have different body types, just different body ty- types.
0: Absolutely.
1: Um, I mean, I always, when I talk to people about eating disorders, I always say it's, not about the food, but it's about the food. But it's not about the food. It's like what's driving this? What is driving the eating disorder? And a lot of it has to do with how do I feel about myself? Do I feel like I'm worthy? Yeah. Can um, can I set boundaries? Am I caretaking people so that I feel needed and I don't get a, and I don't get abandoned? There's so much behind how and why people use certain protectors in order to feel like they're okay. Yeah. Until just to they're feel Okay. okay. Exactly. There seems to
0: be so much anxiety in this society. I mean, um, yeah, I just, I can't even, I'm not a person who's very anxious, I have to say. But I have people in my family who are very anxious. And I just go, I don't get it. You know, I mean, in terms of being so worried about what people think, what you say, Mm -hmm. are they looking at you, are they, uh, I'm going, fuck them if they can't take a joke. I mean, basically, something like that has been how I've, how I look at things. You know, I'm going to be who I am. If you don't like me, if you like me, great, stay around, you know, kind of thing. But um, I know a lot of people aren't like that. They're very worried about how people think about them, what people think about them. And I think that would be more in the line of us uh, building a lot of anxiety if they want to be social, you know, and if they're in high school where they care about their what their self-image is to their own self, and then they think of what their friends say and that kind of thing.
1: Yeah, well, developmentally, I mean, ch- children tend to be, you know, adolescents tend to be very self-conscious, and it's about feeling included. And it the worst thing is to be excluded. So, you know, how do I feel included? Do I smoke pot? Do I drink? Do I, you know, am I wearing Have certain clothes? sex at an clothes? early age? Right, right. It's like all of those things. And it's like, um, you know, I mean, basically, if you really get down to it, what is it most everybody wants? They want a sense of belonging.
0: Right, and, and, love.
1: Yeah, and love. And right, love, right, right. Love and acceptance, a sense of belonging. Um, and a sense of importance, um, feeling like they have mastery or, um, you know, in their life. They're but, in
0: charge of their but own they're life. They're
1: in charge of their own lives.
0: Now, do you ever bring parents in and do a training for the parents?
1: Oh, yeah, all yeah. the time. Like if, yeah. the, if, if a child is in my program, I will not take them unless the parents are participating. Because basically, you know, I mean, this is what we get sometimes. All of a parent would be like, she's got a problem. So basically, you fix it because we're not going to look at ourselves. We don't. We are not going to get involved. Um, you know, it's like she's got this problem, and we're just coming to you because we've heard you. about you, right? And for you to and for you to take care of her. And it's like, well, but I can't return her to a system that isn't getting her or that isn't um, understanding that actually you guys are the precipitating issues or problems, that your problems in your marriage or your problems in how you have um, raised your children is why this child is struggling. And,
0: um, it's hard to face that fact, isn't it? It is.
1: It's like, and it brings up a lot of, because sh- I, don't, I don't think parents are deliberately trying to no. not meet their children. But again, it's a, I, I, I always explain to families, we have legacy burdens, we have multi-generational patterns that unless we change it, then it's passed on.
0: Well, I call it the family jewels. <laughs> That's what I've called it. You right, know.
1: handing on the family jewels from generation to generation. But behaviorally. Yeah. Yes.
0: And I, I totally yeah. can see that in families. And mm. it's so interesting. It's fair. I find it fascinating looking at that.
1: Legacy burdens are really important to unpack, because we really need to have compassion for the fact that we've come from different family lineages. So there can be, you know, you can even look at different ethnic groups and just in terms of like um, certain ethnic, the Irish have a high high rate of alcoholism. So do na- Native Americans. We see this in some of the Pacific Islanders struggling. There's certain Ethnic groups that do have certain, even even medical issues, where you see certain
0: diabetes in certain cultures more so than other cultures. Hispanic, I right. know in California it was a big mm-hmm. identified uh, issue to deal with your patients. Right, they had all kinds of teaching tools and things like that developed by the state. It was such a problem. Right, and I think here in the native population and the, you know, there's a lot of diabetes.
1: Yes, I've yes. seen it.
0: Uh, from the young ages up through ancient, where they get sores, they get, you know, it it just is, you can just, the family jewels.
1: Right, right. So there's the physiological heritage, and then there's the, you know, the emotional and behavioral heritage. And you you can also reenact generation to generation certain certain, um, traumas,
0: you know. Exactly. So, yeah. At what part in the people you've seen does rape play in being one of those issues that people have to deal with or sexual abuse?
1: Uh, Well, um, sexual abuse is definitely um, has always been there. Um, I think we're at least we have a we're talking about it more, but that doesn't mean that there's less of it. No, there is not less of it. There is definitely, and then with you know pornography and um, child pornography, um, and we've got um, kids exposed to pornography. We have parents exposing children inadvertently to pornography. We've got you know if you're not monitoring what your child is seeing on the internet, they can they can they can see all kinds of things. Um, but just sexual abuse is still going on. And there's still secrecy, and there's still when somebody's been raped, this feeling of like, well, you know,
0: it's you know, my fault.
1: I sh- yeah, and I should have, I should have yelled or I should have spoken up. And we're still blaming the victims. We're still blaming the victims. It's like you know, somebody's yep. raped, and then they go and they're basically, if they, if it does get to court, they've got to stand there and speak to the perpetrator about what happened to them, and. Very few perpetrators. Yeah, yeah, I did it. Sure, I yeah, I did it. I'm I'm willing to take responsibility for the fact that I raped this person or molested them.
0: No way, Jose. Yeah. 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 So that's the kind of trauma that can influence development of eating disorder.
1: Definitely. In fact, um, there is a real correlation between sexual abuse and also putting on weight as a protection.
0: Oh, so they won't touch me. They won't, right? If I
1: get, it's not like it's a conscious thing that they're thinking. Oh, well, if I'm if I'm heavier, then I won't be sexually attractive. But it is a, it is, I think some in a lot of cases unconscious of you know I have been sexually abused or touched or um, you know someone coming on to me like that inappropriate making comments to uh, you know to girls when they're in a you know whether they're uh, depending on who's making the comments. If it's a pedophile they're gonna be making comments about a a child's body to them. If um during that prepubescent um you know coming into puberty making comments to girls about their bodies and um you know and pathologizing baby fat even in our culture. It's like, oh, you know, gosh you're you're a little you're a little chubby now. And it's like, yeah, that's normal. There's, you know, you need to gain a certain amount of body fat in order to menstruate, and so on. It goes,
0: on it goes. Yes, I can see what you're saying. Um, what is a paradigm shift that is necessary to to really shift our perception and protectiveness to a um, mental for a mental illness or a disor- mental disorder?
1: Well, the paradigm shift that I think um, I see that's necessary is one that we have to be willing to be vulnerable. We have to be willing to um, not um, stigmatize people who have, you know, who are depressed or anxious or struggling in some way. Um, A paradigm shift where we're not bullying people for being different.
0: There's so much bullying. Mm -hmm. That's the part.
1: Right. And shaming people. You know, so, I mean, bullying is a form of shaming. Um, And and also, you know, just the attitude of if you need help, you're weak. This is very much the case with men. You know, I mean, with with men, for sure, because... Uh, Brene Brown's research showed that um, when she did all of the questionnaires and was, you know, what is it that, you know, what are women's, you know, what do women feel the most shame about and what do men feel the most shame about? Men's greatest shame is feeling like they're weak or appearing to be weak. And when you look at how our culture uh, acculturates young boys into men, it's their they're not allowed to have their feelings. If they have their feelings, they're a sissy or they're, you know, they're, you know, cry baby, cry or baby, what? right, right, you know. And um, man up. Like I'm so tired of hearing that. It's like man up. It's like cut it out already. Like let people have their feelings. And because we're all human, we're not. It's like yes, there are men and there are women, and everything in between. Now, you know. And everybody has feelings, and we all need to have compassion with each other, more and more compassion, and more and more inclus- inclusion, rather than exclusion, like, you know, the, the us versus
0: them attitudes that are out there. Lots of cliques. Lots yeah. of cliques. Especially in high school. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I didn't, there were cliques in my high school, but as I said, I I didn't think about it too much. Um, Because I always just went my jolly way, and you know, here you know, ran. I was new in the high school, ran for an officer, and I got. I was elected. (laughs) So I did. You know, I had. I didn't think about stuff like that. You know, I wasn't a cheerleader. Okay, fine. You know, a lot of times people really get women, young women, get very um, really disappointed and think. The worst of themselves, if they can't be a cheerleader, or if they are a cheerleader, then they think that they're totally a okay.
1: Well, it's you know where something defines you rather than and your own who, self, right? Rather than like it's like you know everyone is nobody. You know what is that saying of you know be yourself because everyone else is taken.
0: <laughs> you know it's like all <laughs> I right, hate that. be yourself because everyone else is taken. Right. That's a good one. <laughs> I love it.
1: So, I mean, for, you know, for people to just, you know, be more internally, we're, we're so externally focused about stuff and things and doing. And even if you look at parenting today, it's like the parenting today, or even in the last, I don't know, 20, 30 years is the, the difference between you know, helicopter parenting versus letting kids have some breathing room to use their imaginations and to go out and play. And it's okay if your child is bored once in a while. They can find a way to entertain themselves rather than let's stick a screen in front of them so they stop whining. Um, But, you know, I'm I'm coming from, like, a different generation. Now,
0: if people want to get in touch with you, Mm -hmm. if if there's, like, let's just say... A friend of somebody feels like they're really struggling or a parent sees their child struggling what how do they get in touch with you
1: well you can if if you can either make a phone call or you can go to the Nova that's that our website is Novaluna center.com
0: dot center.com okay or
1: you can call us okay and, because and your the number phone number eight zero eight 870-9886. That's eight seven zero nine eight eight six. You know, people are you know welcome to call or to look on the website. We even have a, a way for people to just email us and ask us questions. Um, you can get a half hour free consultation if you call. You just set it up and you can speak with That's me. That's great.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, so it's easy. It's easy. So if you have a question. Maybe about yourself, about someone in your family or a friend. Take advantage of this email or the um, free consultation. Maybe you'll learn something. Maybe you'll learn something that will help you in the future. Right. That's a really good thing. Let's see, where are we? Okay, we have five minutes left. And I'd like, to, is there something we haven't discussed that you'd like to really make sure people know or mm. understand in the area?
1: Well, okay, yes, actually. Is that a lot of times I've heard people, um, the two things. One is that people think you can't recover from an eating disorder, that you're going to have it the rest of your life, sort of like being a drug addict and someone goes into recovery. A person can fully clear an eating disorder, but what they have to do is clear what's driving it, right? And
0: so, whatever. First, identify it. First, identify it.
1: Yeah, identify it, and then go through the process to um, unpack it and grieve it and let go of it it's like there's a saying the only way to leave it is to grieve it if you don't feel it you um, you know you can't you
0: can't't you can't, you can't can't it. it right
1: yeah. right the only way to to leave it is to grieve it yeah so it's a trite saying but it's it's it really worked. true right. Um, and the other thing is, sometimes people will say, "Well, I'm addicted to sugar," or "I'm addicted to a particular food." And there are definitely factors that cause people to crave certain foods. And uh, eating um, intuitive eating actually talks about the, the different kinds of hungers that we have. Um, but as far as you know, people are not addicted to sugar. People may crave sugar because of an emotional reason and then they're heading, they're going towards the sugar. But what I found is that when people get down to the core issue, It's not the sugar. It's not the sugar, <laughs> it's not the sugar. I mean, it could be anything. It's like when people, sometimes when people stop using drugs and alcohol, they start using food instead because it's like we still haven't gotten down to the core issue. So it's like if, if you know, I'm clean and sober right now, but now I'm using food. So anyway, it's, those are the two things that I wanted to say. And um, what was the one about you can't – that's taken, you have to be yourself?
0: Oh. I love that one. Okay. Yeah. That, um, you know, be yourself because everyone else is taken. Be yourself, everyone else is taken. I love that. But I think that is so – that's something so critical in uh, junior high and high school.
1: The other thing that I do want to say is that anything – can be dealt with if we all come together. So coming together, being willing to be, you know, talk about things, it's like, we're better together. We are really better together. And so, you know, no one recovers in a vacuum and no one, you know, that is struggling can do it on their own. We need each other, we need other people. So a lot of times, yeah. And a lot of times there's a lot of isolation that people do with eating disorders especially if there's obesity it's like they feel so much shame and um so it's it's in connecting with other people that really facilitates
0: recovery from any dis-ease any disease yeah so thank you so much michelle You're welcome it's been wonderful having you on as i mentioned earlier i wanted michelle i wanted Nova Luna to be part of our program because I think it's such a critical program that you have here in Maui and somehow it fell off the trolley track (laughs) and then I got a call and I thought yes that's who we want on our show so KAKU 88.5 FM let me just turn on my music for a little second and this is Mary Margaret Baker the nurse practitioner and you're listening to the nurse practitioner show on KAKU88.5, and we are a program that looks at health, wellness, and managing your dis-ease, which eating disorders are definitely a dis-ease. Yes. So thanks again, Michelle. You're welcome. I really appreciate your being here today.
1: Thank you for having me.